This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God what me? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. And a sad day for the United States, as it appears that we have suffered our first jihadi terrorist attack, potentially, of the Biden administration. Feels awfully familiar, doesn't it? It's very weird how all during the course of Trump's four years in office, we didn't have problems with this. I know they're going to turn it into all of this discussion about gun control. Already, President Biden came out after they arrested this Muslim who committed uh, or is charged with committing 10 murders. And he said he doesn't want to speculate about anything, but he sure wants gun control. These people are so predictable. They're so predictable. And it's very interesting, isn't it, to contrast the reaction of the left with this particular crime compared to Robert Aaron Long, who just was charged with eight murders in Georgia, which was also horrific. But that was very interesting, wasn't it? Talking about the racism involved in killing Asian-American women, uh, even though there was no evidence of racism at all. He had completely different motives unrelated to race. Uh, And they were quick to say this is all about attacking Asians. And it, it really wasn't. It was about his own deluded evil mind pertaining to his own temptations with with these women at these spas. And they also blamed his church and blamed his conservative purity culture, as we discussed on yesterday's show, how that played a role. Now, I would like to see whether or not these leftists and especially the woke leftists in evangelicalism are going to go and say, oh, the mosque, the mosque is at fault. The mosque is at fault. Where? did he go to mosque? I'm going to dig into the background on the mosque and the theology. Actually, that would be a very good thing if they did do it, if they were halfway honest about what Islamic theology does teach. Because you can look in the Quran and you can look at all kinds of theology that's already been exposed by Islamic experts over the last 20 years since 9-11, and you'll get a very clear picture on the reasons for jihad. Now, we're still waiting to find out more information about this particular suspect, but this is interesting. They report over at Jihad Watch that early information from a national security agency, this is via Jack Posobiec, who's been involved with the Trump administration, suggests that this bolder shooter planned to target the Trump rally in Colorado Springs in February of 2020, but decided to wait until the next one on March 13th in Denver And because of COVID, that was canceled. This is from the White House. There's a White House official who has now relayed this information. So take it for what it's worth. It's early information. But apparently, according to the same source, Colorado GOP headquarters was also scoped out. And same with a few Christian and Catholic and Mormon churches and LDS temples. Not certain yet why this shooter did what he did at a supermarket. His name, Ahmad Al-Issa. And people are very quick on the draw on social media, getting all kinds of shots of his screenshots of what he had to say. And it's very interesting to see some of what this man said online. He hated Trump. And not only that, but there were screenshots of him retweeting things from the mainstream media, the far left mainstream media, like the Washington Post. And it seemed to enrage him, particularly the Muslim ban, as the left likes to call it, which was never a Muslim ban. 
It was Trump's common sense action that made sure that the countries with horrible ties to terrorism had restrictions on allowing people from those countries to come into the United States. It's just common sense. That's keeping the United States safe. And it was never a Muslim ban. It wasn't done according to religion per se. And it wasn't a blanket ban on any single Muslim majority country sending anybody over here or people immigrating here to the United States. It was it made all the sense in the world and Biden undid it. And here we are. Biden undid it. Now, I'm not saying that Biden undoing it caused this particular incident, but what I'm saying is it matters what your worldview is, doesn't it? When you look upon everything as racist and you go out of your way to make sure that you undo even common sense policies and policies that nobody with a brain should disagree on because you don't want to look less than woke, people suffer. I'm just, I'm mad about this. I'm more than mad about this. It's just disgusting to see what's going on. And immediately it's politicized. Immediately it becomes about gun control. Crazy. Now here's another story via Jihad Watch. Uh, Apparently the brother of this suspect says that he was very antisocial and mentally ill. And Robert Spencer points out that jihad activity is frequently dismissed as mental illness by people who want to pretend that there's no jihad violence at all. And in reality, and I think this is a good point, the two are not mutually exclusive. A tormented, psychically marginal individual may try to gain peace by committing an act of jihad violence. Where would anyone get the idea to do that? From the Quran. Uh, 9 verses 14 and 15, fight them, Allah will punish them by your hands and will disgrace them and give you victory over them and satisfy the breasts of a believing people and remove the fury in the believer's hearts. So 21-year-old now charged with murder, incredible. And as I mentioned before, we have President Biden saying he will now do anything in his power to keep Americans safe following this latest mass shooting in Colorado. Keep in mind, this is MSN, so, you know, The phrasing here is going to be decidedly leftist and pushed a pair of House passed gun reforms, including a universal background checks measure and assault weapons ban. Folks, we have gone through this before. We have seen what has gone on with gun control before. We have been down this assault weapons ban road before and it didn't work. And if it didn't work then, why would it work now? ProPublica has an article from 2014 fact-checking Feinstein on the assault weapons ban because at the time the senator said the evidence is clear that the ban worked, except there's no evidence it saved lives. And the researcher behind the key statistic Feinstein's site says it's an outdated figure that was based on a false assumption. Now, we don't like fake news around here. We like real news. And and I want to go back to this article because it's important for people to remember this. In the 10 years at the time since the federal assault weapons ban expired, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California has kept trying to renew the law, which she authored in a press release at the time honoring the 20th anniversary of the ban. She wrote that the evidence is clear the ban worked, but gun violence experts say the exact opposite. Duke University public policy experts Philip Cook and Kristen Goss wrote in their book, The Gun Debate, there is no compelling evidence that it saved lives. A definitive study of the 1994 law, which prohibited the manufacture and sale of semi-automatic guns with military-style features, such as pistol grips or bayonet mounts, as well as magazines holding more than 10 rounds of ammunition, found no evidence 
no evidence that it had reduced overall gun crime or made shootings less lethal. We cannot clearly credit the ban with any of the nation's recent drop in gun violence. The Department of Justice funded study concluded in 2004. The DOJ. You like the DOJ, President Biden. Let's go back to them. Should it be renewed, the ban's effects on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurements. Aren't these people about facts and statistics and science and things like that? More and more as we go along, we see that the left doesn't care about any of those things. They care about their narrative. And this is kind of interesting because I've been reading Cheryl Atkinson's book, Slanted, and she's talking about the narrative that the mainstream media love to push. Everything has to fit the narrative and any facts that come along that disrupt the narrative or somehow turn the narrative on its head have to be discarded and or ignored. That's what's going on. You are living in 1984. You have a whole group of people now who have the power that they've been wanting and they will do anything they can to get their agenda through and they don't care about truth. And I don't even believe they care about us. I just don't believe that at all. I don't think they care. I don't think they care about anybody but themselves. Washington is a way to enrich yourself. You can go there as Joe Lunchbucket and walk away a multi-trillionaire. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you just make the right friends over in China and you can walk away with a suitcase full of money. It's awesome. It's wonderful. You know, Hunter Biden can get what he wants and he can get all kinds of wonderful appointments and get a bunch of business deals and, uh, you know, flow of cash will come forward to the Biden family. It's just it's just fantastic. And what bugs me the most is that when all of this is revealed, it's suppressed, it's ignored, it's not widely reported. And then you end up in a situation where you have the leaders you have and you can't help but think, well, maybe it is the case that the United States sometimes gets the leaders it deserves. There's a lot more to come. We're going to come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the Word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible Leak is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga, 
the lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Christian praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and a matching grant will double your gift and help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. There is so much to get to, and I know I'm going to run out of time here, but I, I want to comment a little bit on some of the things that are going on right now. James Coates, that Canadian pastor who has been in jail for 35 days, was finally released, an Alberta judge, according to the Edmonton, well, this is actually the Canada says that this judge ruled that James Coates could be released immediately but had to pay a $1,500 fine. This is the pastor at Grace Life Church who's been holding the line on religious liberty and questioning the changing dynamics and definitions of a pandemic up there in Edmonton, Alberta. So continue to pray for him and pray for his church. I'm so happy to see him out. He's doing the right thing and lots and lots of people have been praying for him. So praise God for that. Another person to pray for is Jack Phillips. This poor man You know, you you open a bakery, all you want to do is your craft. You want to be able to create cakes and do all kinds of baking projects and sell them and have a little family business. And all this guy has gotten is harassment and and death threats and court cases. Uh, Jack Phillips, as you know, won a partial victory at the Supreme Court in 2018 over refusing to make a wedding cake for two men and now went on trial earlier this week in yet another lawsuit involving a birthday cake for a transgender woman. There's no such thing as a transgender. It's a man. It's a man who thinks he's a woman. Autumn Scardina attempted to order the birthday cake on the same day in 2017 that the high court announced it would hear Baker Jack Phillips appeal in the wedding cake case. Scardina, an attorney, requested a cake that was blue on the outside and pink on the inside in honor of his gender transition. And this is the latest in a series of cases around America that pit the rights of LGBTQ people against merchants' religious objections. Is that what we're calling it, AP? Religious objections? How about religious freedom? We have religious freedom. It's in the Constitution. Maybe you've read the Bill of Rights. Maybe not. It's there. You might want to check it out. It's not us having religious objections. It's this new activist dynamic that the media has supported and advanced. And now we're in this clash that I don't think we can get out of. Um, So yay for you guys in the media. So pray for him as well. Now, I, I came across this audio. There's a there is a, an account on Twitter, Woke Preacher Clips, and it's actually great because this is somebody who goes on YouTube and various podcasts among the woke evangelical leaders and unearths all kinds of great audio telling you exactly who these people are. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading about James Coates and all the pressure he's been under as he's been in jail for 35 days, what a travesty of justice that has been. And and you look at Jack Phillips and, you, and then you look at what these woke evangelical leaders are focused on. 
It's always somehow, you know, going in the direction of telling conservative Christians that they're not woke enough and they're a bunch of racists and they're a bunch of hypocrites and their purity culture causes mass murder. I mean, how many different accusations has this crowd made against conservatives? I've lost count. I lost count years ago. But this one is really a doozy. I got to play this for you. You remember VeggieTales? My kids grew up on VeggieTales. They loved VeggieTales. Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, and Bob the Tomato, and, you know, Larry the Cucumber, or the Hairbrush, all that stuff. Phil Vischer now has a podcast, and Phil Vischer invited onto his show Karen Swallow Pryor, who has all kinds of problems, some of which we have detailed, but she was an ERLC research fellow, a former uh, person over at Liberty University. She was a professor there and left, and then she went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, She's the one who said abortion is not murder. Remember her? Yeah. So she was a guest on Phil Vischer's podcast, and you're not even going to believe the direction that the conversation took. I don't want to ruin it for you. Just listen. Cut one. I've read research that shows that people, conservatives, and not not Christian conservatives, but just people who are generally conservative, are uh, psychologically less comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, people that are pol- uh, politically liberal or culturally liberal are also most com- more comfortable with uncertainty or with trying new things. For example, you know, I, I don't know if you saw the statistics, something like 80 percent of um, of Whole Foods stores are in a district that's represented by a Democrat in Congress. And it's reverse for Cracker Barrel stores. 80% of Cracker that Barrel stores. my home, my town here. Yes, are in a district that's represented by a Republican. And so I, I saw someone who then used that to say, and Cracker Barrel is about the comfort of familiarity. Whole Foods is about the excitement of discovery, of finding something new, a cheese from somewhere else, so that you can kind of use those two, two you know, just those two ideas as if you are conservative, you like the comfort of certainty. Uh, you're drawn. So I'm wondering how much, you know, because Christianity in America has become so closely aligned with conservative values, if, if you know, which came first, you know, the conservatism um, or the rejection of, you know, new ideas or, 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 you know, trying or going to Whole Foods, basically, was, was how long has Christianity been Cracker Barrel and not Whole Foods? And which came first, the, the Cracker Barrel or the Christianity? What do you think about that? Huh? I think that's one of the dumbest diatribes I've ever heard. That's what I actually think about that. Are you kidding me? Are you what? What is that? There was no actual citation of anything. Well, I heard that conservatives are less comfortable with uncertainty or trying new things. And because 80 percent of Whole Foods are located in communities who have a Democrat in Congress and the reverse is true for Cracker Barrel, that means that Cracker Barrel is about the comfort of familiarity and Whole Foods is about the excitement of discovery. Okay, first of all, Whole Foods used to be a little bit unique. I can go into any number of grocery stores just in my own hometown and get the exact same stuff that you can get in Whole Foods. Because if you hadn't noticed, Phil Fisher, a lot of grocery stores have expanded and added lots of the same stuff that's at a Whole Foods. So there goes that theory. Second of all, Cracker Barrel is not about the comfort of familiarity. If you know anything about Cracker Barrel, a lot of Cracker Barrels, not all of them necessarily, I don't think, I'm not an expert on the Cracker Barrel location map, but they generally tend to be along interstates. 
And so people who are traveling in the South tend to eat there because you can get off the interstate and go to Cracker Barrel. And people like it. You know why they like it? They like country cooking, Phil Vischer. It doesn't have anything to do with not wanting to try new things. In fact, if you have somebody coming from the Midwest, they may never have had black eyed peas before or okra. Have you ever considered that, Phil Vischer? So they might be trying new things at the Cracker Barrel if they happen to pull off the interstate and pull into the parking lot. This is just a backhanded way of slamming conservatives. And it's so bizarre. You don't even know what to say to it. But I'm going to let you listen to what Karen Swallow Pryor had to say. And you tell me if this is what you would consider to be an intellectual response. This is cut to. Wow. Yeah. Time I, I'm just for still thinking about Cracker class. Barrel and I, how I never liked it. And I'm now, now, <laughs> now all my all my trolls are going to be like, see, we told you she's yeah. liberal. Yeah, yeah, right. How many how many people sitting in Cracker Barrel are wearing cat eye glasses? <laughs> hmm? 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 <laughs> if you're there, one. If you're there. And I'm one. not there right now. So, <laughs> yeah, so um, no, this is this is. I don't, that would be a good, because obviously the first century Christians were, um, you know, not all yeah. into certainty, right? <laughs> no, or security. Yeah, right. Um, and so again, I think, you know, the, I think there, you know, once Christianity was established, you know, whether with Constantine or in, you know, England with this literally called an established church in, in America as a Christian country, um, then, you know, it, it's sort of a, a chicken and egg kind of scenario. But yes, the, that that security and conservatism goes together and it's been to the detriment of our of our faith. I think clearly we can see that. What? What is she talking about? What is she talking about? The early church wasn't into certainty. What was it but absolute certainty and faith in the sinless son of God who had risen from the dead that kept them going through all the persecution, Karen Swallow Pryor? They really did believe in certainty, the certainty that Christ had risen from the dead and that they were called to fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah, these people are nonsensical and they, they think that they're so brilliant and they're just so disdainful of people they consider to be beneath them, which is you and me. They think, oh, my trolls are going to call me a liberal for saying I don't like Cracker Barrel. Nobody's calling you a liberal for not liking Cracker Barrel. You don't have to like Cracker Barrel, but Cracker Barrel cuts across all kinds of political lines. I'm in the South and I see people eating there and I don't believe every single one of them is a card caring Republican. Maybe people just like country cooking and they like the cool little gift shop. And by the way, if you want to overpay for Whole Foods, you knock yourself out. But sometimes people who are conservative and have to meet a budget, uh, maybe they're just a little bit more willing to make intelligent financial decisions and say, why would I pay $10 for a little ounce of cheese when I could get it for half the price down the street at some other grocery store? But this is, this is how these people reveal themselves. They look down on so many of the people who actually have given them a platform. I listen to Karen Swallow Pryor and I'm thinking to myself, why are you considered some kind of great intellect? Oh, she's a professor. She's a professor. She's so smart. We must bow down to Karen Swallow Pryor's intellect and learn from her because she reads fiction. I'm sorry, but I've had some very intelligent, good professors in my life and I none of them talked like she talks. None of them. And I'm not saying that there aren't professors who believe the same things that she believes, but I'm listening, you know, hey, 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 oh, Cracker Barrel, oh, Whole Foods. 
All right, well, you go ahead and overpay for your organic peanuts or whatever it is you like to buy at Whole Foods, but that's another store that actually has overlap as well. In fact, I live in a very conservative town and we have a Whole Foods here and people do shop there. Not me because I don't like overpaying for things. But what a weird model to set up and then to put forward as some kind of model for kicking conservative Christians. And I wanted you to hear that because you need to know that it's just expanding all of the time. It's expanding. These people are not people who are demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ and the love of the brethren. They're doing the polar opposite. And it's really a shame. And I intend to keep exposing it as it comes up. You are listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. In Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ warns us to beware of false prophets and tells us we will know these bad trees by their bad fruit. And then he issued a dire warning. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, that is a section of scripture that is incredibly sobering and scary to consider because there will be those who expect to enter heaven and even believe they're serving the Lord. And then the Lord will tell them to depart because he never knew them. As my next guest says, none of us want to be that person. But how do we know if we fit his description? We're going to talk about it today with former missionary and church planter Denise Wilson. Her book is called Seven Words You Never Want to Hear, How to Be Sure You Won't. And Denise, it's great to have you here. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Great to be on the show. Well, great to have you with us. This is a very, very sobering passage. Every time I've read this verse throughout the years, I always say, oh, Lord, I hope you never say that of me. Have you met a lot of Christians (laughs) who are concerned about that and saying, what if the Lord tells me to depart? Well, actually, I think that most of the people who are going to hear those words don't consider the fact that they might be hearing them. They're actually deceived into thinking that they're okay, and that's the problem. Yes, Right. That's exactly right. So talk a little bit about this problem that is present in this world where you have people who believe that they're Christians and believe that they're serving the Lord, but they're deceived. How does that happen? Would you say in your experience of seeing a lot of people over the years and sharing the gospel, what what do we make of the professing Christian who isn't really a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's very common, and the Bible tells us that there are many who will hear those words, so it's a bigger problem than people realize. And I think that uh, what can often happen, there's a few reasons why I believe it happens, and one, I have a chapter in my book called The Christian Home Syndrome, yes. and I think what can happen often in families where kids grow up in that environment where they hear the gospel, they know the Bible verses, they 
they have a lot of head knowledge, but it never really transfers to their heart. So they believe themselves saved. They've prayed a prayer. They've been baptized sometimes. And it's, but they've never truly repented of their sins. They've, and I was that person at one point. And although I came to the Lord for real at a very young age, I was, I was 14. Before that time, I prayed that prayer I don't know how many times. But it was not, there was never a true um, uh, repentance in my heart. And I, I had the words, I had the knowledge, but I didn't really have the relationship. Yeah, you're totally right about that. And I think part of the problem when you grow up in a Christian home is that when you're little and you hear something like, just pray this prayer, pray the sinner's prayer and come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. For a lot of little kids, the idea of repentance is a little bit foreign because not only are they young, but unlike the adult who can look back on many years of saying, wow, I really am a terrible sinner and I need to repent. Sometimes the Christian kid will lack that because he'll think I'm a good kid. I obey mommy and daddy. What do we do about that particular problem? Yeah, well, I mean, we all know that kids are sinners too, right? And right. I think, I mean, they can be, it can be pointed out, you know, kids lie, they cheat, they, they're the brothers and sisters. <laughs> so there's certainly sin that needs to be dealt with in the life of a child. And it's just having that awareness that the sins, the things we do um, are unacceptable to God. And I, and I, I tell the story in my book, um, one of the stories that I tell is of uh, Cheryl Washer, and she's the wife of uh, evangelist Paul Washer, who uh, many of your listeners might be familiar with. Sure. And uh, she she um, grew up in a Christian home. She went to a Christian school. She was baptized. She decided she wanted to be a missionary. She married Paul. They went to Peru, were missionaries for 12 years in Peru, um, came back, and then Paul would go around preaching and one of the messages that he would preach was, how do you know that you're a Christian? And she would hear him. She heard him for three years preaching that message from <laughs> church to church. And she says in her own in her own words, she said she would squirm in her seat when she heard that. And finally, at the age of 32, she realized that she was actually not saved. Wow. And, you know, people hear that, what? And her own friends would, would say, how is this possible? You were a missionary. You did this. You did that. But she said... There was never that. There was never that true repentance in her heart. She never saw herself as a sinner, um, really, and and she realized that. And in order to test and decide, am I really saved? She went to the Book of First John, and the Book of First John has so many tests, and that's how she. That's how she finally, truly was saved by going through taking the test in First John, but she lived her life for 32 years thinking she was a Christian. Everybody thought she was a Christian. And that's the kind of person that we hear about in, you know, could be in Matthew 7, that mm. they've done this in Jesus' name and that in Jesus' name. And the way we can be sure is to test ourselves, and that's why we're told in Corinthians to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith test yourself unless of course you don't pass the test so that's what we're encouraged to do right and the fact that that could occur in the life of a woman married to paul washer of all people i mean that's pretty amazing because he married her before he she was saved too so that you never know well she was she was fooled he was fooled that's the point right yep deception is but the scary thing about deception is you don't know if you're deceived right right and, uh, and the Bible says, don't be deceived, and that's why we have to read God's Word, look at the test, 
look at the, the, the test for what does true faith look like and not gauge it on what the world says or what somebody told you. Okay, you're a Christian now. Yes. Look at God's Word, because this is way too important to get wrong. Well, right. So in the way we evangelize, is that part of the problem? Mm-hmm. When we talked about the sinner's prayer, that's one angle. Mm-hmm. But as far as presenting the gospel, we, we've had the four spiritual laws. There are lots of different ways, the Romans yeah. Road, these sorts of things, methodologies yeah. to help people present the gospel. But what would you say are important aspects of presenting the salvation message initially to somebody who's unsaved such that they don't misunderstand what it means to be a Christian? Right, right. Well, I... I, I, the method of evangelism that I think is very effective is when you, when you share with someone and you point them to the side, you have to see themselves as a sinner. And I know Ray Comfort, he does it very well, where he gets people to see themselves as a sinner, point to the law, yes. let them see that they're a sinner before we give them the good news, yes, right? So we right. often start with the good news, you know? We say, God loves you, which is absolutely true, and he, he, he wants you to have a great life. Do you want Jesus? Well, of course, everybody, you know, a lot of people would say yes to that, right? Sure. But they don't get it. They, they don't see that there's a cost to following Jesus. And, and when Jesus spoke of having eternal life, I think of the rich young ruler that came to him. And the rich young ruler, the Bible says he came with urgency. He came running. He came with humility. He came kneeling. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he didn't, but he didn't chase after him when the man said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, he told him what he had to do, you know, go sell all that you have and um, give to the poor. And he didn't want to do it. And we think, well, do you have to do that to be saved? You know, of course not. But God saw his heart, right? Right. right. Jesus, Jesus, he, he, he sees our heart and he knew that that was an obstacle that was keeping him from giving everything to Jesus. And, you know, to be a disciple, the Bible says we should deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him. And the, 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 what, what, the way discipleship is talked about in the New Testament is very different than the way we talk about being a Christian. And, of course, it's, we're, we're, it's not our works that save us. That's not, that's not the point. But, it, but how we live will give evidence of what's really going on. It doesn't yes. determine our destiny, but it reveals it. It shows the truth, and that's a test to see, am I, do I... Do I want to obey? Do I love my sin or do I hate my sin? There's lots of tests and that's, it's just really, really important to get that clear. Well, it is. And in bringing up the rich young ruler, that's a really good example because here was a young man who believed that he had kept the law and everything that he was supposed mm-hmm. to do, he was doing. And right. Jesus held up a standard that he wasn't meeting. Okay, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it pointed right, out exactly right. what you were saying, that when you point to the law, that's a school teacher to lead us to Jesus Christ. You can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news that you are a sinner in need of a savior we're going to take a break we'll come back with denise wilson seven words you never want to hear is her book stay with us Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram 
changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment, deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans Trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Thank you so much for being with us. How would you respond on the last day when Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me? That's what none of us want to hear. And in fact, my guest, Denise Wilson, says those are seven words you never want to hear, the title of her book. We're talking about how you can make sure that you really are saved and not just relying on some sinner's prayer or some kind of methodology or good works to get you into heaven. You had mentioned before, Denise, a very important verse from Mark 8, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. These are the words of Jesus. You don't hear a lot Mm -hmm. of that in most gospel presentations that I hear. You don't hear that. You know, you'll hear it kind of maybe down the road a little bit. Okay, now I'm going to give you the hard part. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Should that be first, do you think, in gospel presentations? Just put it out there right right away? Well, you think, I mean, what did, what did, how did, what did Jesus do? And, and what does he say we need to do? And he says we need to deny ourselves. He says we need to count the cost. So you count the cost before you do something, not after, right? Like yes. That's the logical order of things. You count the cost and decide, um, is, this, is this something that I can commit to? Because becoming a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is about surrendering your will for his. And it's about, you know, in the world's philosophy says live for self. But Jesus, he said, die to self. That's what we're called to as believers. And we have to ask, am I willing to do that, to put him before anything else? And um, like when I was, my husband and I, we went to China in 2016. We were with the Gideons, and we went there with a group to um, give out um, Bibles. And we were at a meeting, and uh, one of my teammates gave a message. And after the message... um, there was a man who was interested in being a Christian. And um, so the Chinese, or a Chinese interpreter talked to him, and, and this guy said, you know, I've tried everything, but now I want Jesus. <laughs> and so what the interpreter said to the man was, he noticed he was wearing it like an amulet necklace. And he said to him, okay, first, you know, you've got to get rid of your idols. 
And um, so he, you know, there was there was an obstacle there. Yeah, I want Jesus, but, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the interpreter was very wise, and he could tell that there was something in this man's life that he needed to deal with. And, um, you know, but often we're so, we, we, we're so quick to want a decision that, you know, oh, you know, just pray this prayer and you're good. We want a decision, but we, 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 so we don't want to scare people away. And I think in many churches, that's what's happening. Yes. There's, a, there's a false gospel being preached. There's a watered-down gospel being preached. There's a gospel that says, it's all about what Jesus can give me. If I follow him, this, I'm going to have all of these great things. He's going to improve my life. And that's not the gospel we find in Scripture. No, it's not. And if you spend any time, for example, with Christians in the Middle East or some of the more dangerous parts of Africa, you would quickly learn something different about what it really means to follow Jesus. When things get tough and when you're under persecution and tribulation, uh, the, the feel-good mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't work. And, and you talk about some of these false gospels, which I really appreciate, one of which is the gospel yeah. of greed. We see this all over yeah. ostensibly Christian TV. Yeah. It drives me nuts, but could speak to that a little bit yeah. of the false gospel of greed. Yeah. Well, I have two chapters in that book on false, well, actually I have three, but one is the gospel of self and the gospel of greed, which kind of are variations of the same, but the gospel of greed is about, you know, what can, what can Jesus give me? Like I was just saying, um, my husband recently heard somebody talk about um, trying to trying to pinpoint the issue in this saying to somebody, what is your treasure? I think John Piper had mentioned, said this, he heard John Piper say this, say this. But, so where, what is your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Or are you using Jesus to get your treasure? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with the gospel of greed, is that there's, there's preachers out there who are very rich, who are um, basically stealing money from people, telling them, falsely that, you know, if you give this, you know, God's going to bless you. And, um, and it's a very, and so many people are deceived by this and uh, thinking that they're doing the right thing, that this is, you know, this is what God wants them to do. And, and yeah, it's very, it's a very scary thing. And then there's like the other one, the gospel itself, just, it's like the self-improvement gospel, you know, God wants me to be happy. God wants me, you know, just, just a, just a variation of the same. Right, so, right. Yeah. Well, in the third one, you mentioned the Gospel of Rome. If you have this idea that you have to somehow, you, yeah. you know, employ good works, and that's part of how you get to heaven. Right. This is why we had a Reformation. There was a big break on what is the Gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, the Gospel of Rome, that's, you know, like it's Jesus plus yes. the church, right? right? right Jesus right. plus your good works. And if that was true, then why did Jesus have to die if there, was, if there was something else that we had to do also? And they're just all really, really important. And, you know, people just always are wanting to add something or take something away, yes, right? There's, yes. there's both extremes, either adding that you have to do something or taking away saying, well, you know, you don't really need to repent. You know, so that's mm. the other side. Mm. That's so important. Now, now, when you present the gospel, you had mentioned before the importance of repentance. And you think about Peter saying, yes. repent and be baptized in Acts 2, every one of you in the name yes. of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Yeah. What should repentance yeah. look like, Denise? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a particular emotional response. There must be this many tear, yeah. tears and those sorts of things because people are different. But no. repent and yeah. believe is absolutely essential. Tell people why that is. Repentance has to be there. Yeah, well, repentance has to be there because that is the message throughout the 
throughout the New Testament, you find Jesus, um, sorry, John the Baptist, started with John the Baptist saying, repent, and then Jesus said, repent, and then he taught his disciples, and they went around preaching repentance, and then you have in the book of Acts, Peter saying, repent, and then you go all the way to the book of Revelation, and there again, you have to the churches, repent, repent. It's the theme of the Bible, so for anybody to think that that's not part is, you know, it's a big mistake, right? Because repentance is absolutely necessary for salvation. You must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Um, sorry, what was the other part of your question? No, that, that was essentially it as far as repentance yeah. being a necessary uh, part of being saved. Yeah. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus. I mean, even the demons believe in shudder. I, I like to use that verse when people talk about, oh, I believe yeah. in God. I believe yeah. in Jesus. That's not enough. Yeah. Yeah, well, even going back to that believing in Jesus, it's interesting because, yes, a lot of people believe in God, and we can understand that, but think, well, as long as you believe in Jesus, but if you go to um, to the Gospels, you find that the demons, I'll, I'll give a quote from one of the demons saying, you are the Son of God, and um, when when he was when a demon was confronted, and then in the book of Acts, there's another situation with Paul and other believers and um, the demon says, these men are servants of the Most High God who yes. proclaim to you the way of salvation. So the demons not only know who Jesus is, but they know, uh, they understand what salvation is and that that's what Jesus came to do. So, so and, and many people in our churches also believe all those things. So the point is the demons aren't saved just by believing, you know, intellectually these facts. Of course. So repentance going back to what you said before, repentance is it's a change of mind, but it's, it's more than that. It's a change of mind and heart that mm-hmm. leads to a change in behavior, because the Bible says faith without works is dead. Sure. So if there is no change, the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. There has to be a change if it's real. And a lot of people... They, they think they can pray a prayer and then go live as they like, and then they, you know, they're, they're okay. They've got their tickets to heaven, but the Bible is very clear. If your lifestyle is um, such that it's opposed to what God's saying, and that is the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's four detailed passages that list all kinds of activities um, that say, if, these are, if this is the pattern of your life, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive or cheap people, none of these will enter the kingdom of God. That's from Corinthians. But the good news comes after. Such were some of you. Yep. So in other words, you know, we all we're all sinners, we all come from different places, but there's forgiveness and while we're here on this earth, there's hope. We don't want to be waiting to find out that we didn't get it right when we get to heaven. We want to, we want to examine ourselves now to be sure that we're in the faith. And Amen. read God's Word, you know, really, really wanting to see and wanting to know, not making excuses for our sin, but wanting to know the truth. Amen. That's so well said. That's right. You want to make sure that you are in Jesus Christ now before it's too late for you to repent and put your faith and trust in our Lord and Savior. Wow. Great stuff. And the name of the book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear, How to Be Sure You Won't by Denise Wilson. So good to have you here, Denise. I really appreciate what you wrote and it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. God bless you. And thanks again for being with us. 
Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. Always a delight to have you here and we'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.